Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. This summer, all eyes will be on the G20 as they tackle issues related to the global minimum corporate tax and profit reallocation of multinational enterprises. In early June, members of the G7 reached an agreement that would establish a minimum global corporate tax rate of at least 15% on multinational corporations. The intent of the deal, which the group called historic, is to stop the so-called race to the bottom in the international tax corporate world. Now, the G20 will meet and discuss these issues. The G20 nations account for more than 80% of the world's GDP, 75% of global trade, and 60% of the world's population. That's why they have so much influence and power in the corporate world. It's a lot to unwind. And to help us out, I've invited Mimi Song to the program. As chief economist of cross-border solutions, Mimi is responsible for managing client relationships and ensuring the successful completion of all work. At the original iteration, she served as vice president, professional services. Following the sale to Thomson's Reuter, Mimi was a vice president at Duff and Phelps and served as the head of transfer pricing at the Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi UFJ. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Kelly, for inviting me. I'm really excited about this opportunity to chat with you. So am I, because this is one of the most complicated issues that tax professionals are talking about this year. And it's also one of the most impactful because this is not, we're kind of down to the actual wire now, right? We're not just kind of talking about this in theory because they've had some discussions and there's been some agreements. So can you kind of outline what we're going to be looking for in terms of this upcoming summit? Like what are folks going to be talking about and why is it important? So this concept here, right, is is a global minimum tax. And the OECD has actually proposed that in, in under what's called Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. And it's just a fancy name, essentially, for establishing. One is to establish taxing rights, and the other one is actually to establish that global minimum taxation. And what we're seeing is that all of these countries on a global basis are finally coming together to try to establish a more fair tax environment, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to this digital economy, right? Which no one anticipated. I mean, it's hard to predict the future. So when tax rules were first created, every country established their tax rules, you know, on a sovereign basis, and they all based it off of this idea of a brick and mortar store. But now what we're looking at is a digital economy where you no longer have to have a physical presence in order to be able to generate revenue, or find new opportunities or reach another type of audience, right? It's, it's much more far reaching. It's ability to target markets, that you never were able to do before without actually establishing a physical presence. Right. So essentially, all of the G20, when they're going to meet in July, they're ultimately going to want to look at the specific details of the proposed plan for this global minimum tax, right? Because the first, the G7 nations came together to agree that this makes sense. We are all working towards a global minimum tax. We think that tax fairness has become an issue 
we're not taxing these global tech giants in the right manner anymore because they're operating in a, a much more different type of world, this digital economy. And so now they're expanding that to include the G20 countries. And so the G20 countries are going to have to figure out, okay, so you have this framework agreement, this framework of what's involved under pillar one, what's involved under pillar two, and how are we going to actually start to apply them to each of these different nations? And it's going to be a lot of a lot of discussion and negotiation, if you will, because not every country, I mean, 130 countries have come together to say, this makes sense. We are all supporting this proposal, but there are still countries out there that are not agreeing to this framework. Right. right. And as you mentioned, a ton of countries, because like folks who are listening know that I have kids and I can't get my kids to agree on like what to watch for television. <laughs> so I can't imagine having this many people rep- or this many countries representing this many people coming and agreeing to something this significant because they're not, they're not agreeing on, I mean, a global minimum tax rate is a big deal. It's a big deal largely because they're, you know, we've kind of gotten, as I mentioned, this race with they're calling it a race to the bottom, like to see how low can the tax rates get. Right. Because there um certain countries are hopeful that that will lure revenue to their countries. So what kinds of dissent is there or is there any dissent? I think the main challenge is let's take a step back. Why is it that certain jurisdictions have such low tax rates? A lot of that is to attract investment into that country, attracting innovation from abroad, right? Mm -hmm. It's more of the emerging market jurisdictions that offer very attractive tax rates, tax holidays, tax incentives to entice businesses to establish a local presence and to stimulate their economy. And so the race to the bottom, the idea of, well, which nation can offer the best incentives and from a tax perspective, as well as from a corporate business perspective, to be able to bring all that uh, innovation to evaluate and create economic stimulus for their country. And now what this global minimum tax structure does is essentially it hurts a lot of those nations because it hurts their ability to compete on that level and to attract that investment into mm-hmm. their country if it is no longer a tangible benefit to the multinational, right? And so you're creating winners and losers. So if that's the case, if the idea is that there were places, uh, you know, and Ireland tends to come up because of their corporate tax rate, if there are countries where they've been successful at wooing companies, maybe like Apple, to their country because of this low tax rate, why do the other countries think that's not fair? Because when we look at the countries that are involved, these are countries who, with a few exceptions, but countries who typically would embrace capitalism and say, let the market decide those kinds of things. So why now? And why are we saying, you know what, this is not fair? Well, there's this concept that comes up a lot these days, especially in the in the G20 talks, as well as the OECD member country talks and includes the framework talks, this concept of tax morality, Kelly. And so that idea here is that this public perception of these multinationals are not paying their fair share of taxes. And although these specific countries, like Ireland, to your point, are pretty content with where they are from a tax perspective, they're not the ones raising their hands and saying, hey, we need our fair share of taxable income. Mm-hmm. They understand that there are many companies operating in their country that have created complicated tax structures which ultimately allow 
these large tech giants to create a tax structure where they end up paying no taxes on a significant amount of income that becomes stateless or or not taxed anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue, right? It's there's all this profit that is not being taxed by any jurisdiction and, and trying to shore up those types of loopholes so that every country can allocate that additional profit or taxation on that profit appropriately and where revenue is being generated. Now, jurisdictions like if you want to say Italy, for example, right, they they're basically saying, you know, they've they pulled up a case related to Netflix. I don't know if you had heard that particular case, right, where they challenged Netflix and said, hey, Netflix, you have a permanent establishment here because you have cables and wires that you're utilizing to to be able to stream shows to the Italian taxpaying market. Right. And they had no permanent establishment based on the definition as it stands today. They didn't have a taxable presence. They didn't pay taxes in Italy. And yet Italy was challenging them because they knew that that a company like Netflix was able to exploit their market and, and generate a significant amount of subscription-based revenues from Italian people. So that's a lot of the challenge. And that's the sentiment. These countries that are coming to the table, essentially saying these tech giants have created convoluted structures. We think they need to pay their fair share of taxable income because they're exploiting our economy, but we're not benefiting from that. And I know that Facebook has kind of chimed in on this. They did early on in, on Twitter, actually, about being in favor generally yeah. of the idea. What about the other tech companies? Like, Have you heard what they think? Because I would think, you know, when you look at the worth of these companies, especially combined, <laughs> yeah, especially you combine them, they're more than some of the worth of these countries, right? Like if Absolutely. you look at like, revenues. So are most of the companies on board? And if so, what does that mean? And actually, if not, what does that mean? Right. The biggest companies you can think of, like Google and Apple, all these digital companies, right? They are publicly on board with this. And I think that it is very telling because they've been working within the confines, within a very legal framework. It's not that they were avoiding or evading taxes, rather. I'll use that word, Mm -hmm. right? Something very negative and hiding their money offshore in the Cayman Islands so that nobody can tax it. (laughs) (laughs) What they were doing was they were using existing tax arbitrage situations and creating these elaborate structures. I want to avoid the word scheme, right? But structures to be able to maximize or optimize their tax position and maximize their stakeholder and shareholder value. But now Mm -hmm. the public is part of their shareholders, right? They're publicly traded companies. And so they are now facing a lot of reputational risk and reputational damage by being in this position where you see headlines like Amazon has a 0% effective tax rate and they don't want to be put in that position. Starbucks in the UK, when they were being scrutinized as paying very little taxes in the UK, they got boycotted by the people. And it was it, it hurt their business locally in that particular country. And so the power of the masses, the power of public perception is extremely important in this regard. And a lot of these tech giants can appreciate and understand that they need to be supportive of these measures because they understand that they're the targets behind it, right? And so they, if they were opposing it, I think it would create certain reputational damage where people and professionals like you and me might say, well, 
they're just trying to line their own personal pockets, right? Right, right. And so what about other smaller companies? Like I know that this has been talked about in terms of these big tech giants. How many companies, and you know, I'm not looking for a number exactly, but just Uh a general idea. How many companies do we think will be affected by these changes? So at least the way that the framework has been outlined today, it is targeting the largest multinationals, which is probably definitely over 100 multinationals are going to be targeted under the Pillar 1 proposal as it stands. And I think that uh, the Pillar 2 proposal could have an, uh, could be applicable to more companies, probably a couple thousand at least, right? And so that's the one that could have an impact to more companies, maybe small to mid-market companies are going to be more impacted by, by the minimum tax rate by that, but not so much under the redistribution or the taxing rights on a country by country basis, which is the redistribution of profits across all the jurisdictions where companies historically did not have a physical presence or physical nexus. And I know that there have been a couple of countries, France being one of them, that have these controversial digital taxes, which have impacted some of these companies. And the idea is that some of these kinds of digital taxes will be pulled back in exchange. I guess it's sort of a, I don't want to say quid pro quo because that you know has loaded term these days. But you know the idea that we're going to make this more simple, I guess, is what they're saying. We're going to it's going to be a tax rate. We're going to agree that this is going to be based on certain criteria and we're going to pull back those digital taxes. Do you think that will happen? Because that was not explicitly in the G7 proposal, I don't think. I think there was some verbiage around they would maybe circle back. Right. Well, so many jurisdictions or a handful of them, especially in Europe, I think Italy, to your point, UK, France, those jurisdictions, they impose their own unilateral digital services tax because they felt as if they couldn't wait any longer or wait for this the, the, the Pillar 1, Pillar 2 initiative to be globally accepted, because we are talking about a pretty long time horizon, I think. But I do think that because the intention of the digital services tax really is supported by the framework of Pillar 1 and Pillar 2, they should be repealing that one-off unilateral digital services tax, or else it does put them, I think, in a in an unattractive position or less attractive position, I would say, from a tax perspective. And I don't think that they, the intention, in, at least from a country-specific basis, is they don't want to make it difficult for con- companies to operate locally, right? Right. So I, I do anticipate that there's going to be some repeal on the digital services tax for those jurisdictions once they implement the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 framework. And I know you mentioned early on, obviously, that we can't tell the future, but with respect to some of these companies that have created headquarters, and I'm using air quotes for headquarters in countries to take advantage of lower rates, part of the, I think the selling point of this is that you might be, if, if everybody's on an equal playing field, right, you're not creating those kinds of incentives to move headquarters. Do you anticipate that there'll be a lot of movement? Do you think like, I don't know, let's say that we had Kelly Book and Kelly Book was not really in Ireland, but said they were or had a small footprint there, but was routing money through there. And then I see that there's no advantage to me being in Ireland, no tax advantage to me being in Ireland. Now, do I go back to the US as my headquarters or do I say, you know what, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm just going to keep business operations all over. Like, 
What do you think is going to happen? So there's definitely a cost associated with having to do any corporate restructurings and and, and legal entity wind downs and things of that nature, right? So companies are going to have to outweigh the cost versus the benefit. And at the end of the day, I think there are companies already out there that see the writing on the wall and already changing their structures in anticipation of global tax reform. And, mm-hmm. and we do see that in some cases. And I do think that, you know, if we don't see taxpayer taxpayer behavior changes, then the whole initiative here in the framework of this proposal probably didn't have the appropriate intended consequences, right? And it is meant to, or it is intended to change taxpayer behavior and for them to really consider what it is that they're doing today and whether or not it is structured in fairness to the global community, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the question that all these multinationals are going to have to ask and evaluate really holistically, am I structured in a way that makes business sense and takes into consideration the taxation of the global community? And why do you think it's happening now? Are there any particular events? Like, do you think the pandemic has impacted people's thinking? Do you think it's just because it's just gone on so long? Is it because France was arguing with the US about digital taxes? Like, is there a particular event or sequence of events that you think led to the change now? Or was it just it's been coming for a while and now it's just time? I think it's been I think it's been on the horizon for some time. And in fact, I think the pandemic has been an accelerant in a lot of ways and have been a facilitating vehicle for communication, right? And then because now people are able to realize that being remote, it doesn't hinder progression. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these member countries have had to figure out how to work together remotely. And it's, it's, it's allowed for more effective communication in a lot of ways, perhaps before the pandemic, when maybe the idea was, okay, well, we'll have this discussion when we all come together at the next OECD meeting, right? Right. But yeah. now it's, you can have those one-off conversations via the, an online meeting. And so we're seeing more progression. I think this is, this is why this has become an accelerant. And essentially, it's a catalyst to helping facilitate this, this global minimum tax proposal. It's funny because I think most people would complain about Zoom, but yet <laughs> apparently it's changing the world. It, it is. So, so what do you think is going to happen in terms of timing? Like if we get a, an agreement in July, like what comes next and, and how quickly would we see something change on a global scale? If you had asked me this question a few years ago, I would have said it would take at least five years. But seeing the progression and seeing how, how these discussions have gone, the proposal on the table today, it, it is actually stated that the OECD expects agreement by next year and implementation by 2023, which wow. is really fast, right? But there, of course, are going to be a lot of challenges. I think there are still jurisdictions who want exceptions to the rule, these carve-outs and all of those exceptions to the rule. That It's going to create complexity. Anytime you have an exception, that's where you just create a lot of complexity to the way that the rules are handled and it creates unfairness, if you will, right? Even though they think the intention is to create better, not everyone's going to be 100% happy. So essentially, I, I do think that 
there will be some movement by 2023. But I, okay. I think it's going to take a little bit longer, though, at least in another year, 2024, to see jurisdictions start to deploy these rules locally and ratify them into their own local laws and legislation before they come into full effect. You always see a little bit of a lag from an implementation perspective, right? So what kind of carve-outs and exceptions are people looking for? Do we want to say, like, is it a number? Is it how many companies are affected? Or is Types it of companies, bigger? industries. So the UK specifically, they want to carve out financial services companies. Okay. And, and so basically different types of jurisdictions are looking to protect their home base in a way. Yeah, I know the US is, is wanted to make it clear that this should not just target tech companies yep. too. I know that's been something that's been uh, near and dear to US taxpayers. So, so kinds of companies, sizes of companies, right. these are the kinds of things people are fighting about. Of course. And then even, even companies or carve outs for companies that have already established like brick and mortar presences in certain jurisdictions, like plants or buildings, like physical investment in that local, which, which makes it much more difficult for the for them to make changes. So how do companies react to this? Because one of the things that we've talked about on the program before, not with respect necessarily to multinational companies, but companies, corporate taxpayers really love certainty because individual taxpayers, they can flex pretty quickly when the tax code changes. So that's why, you know, Congress feels very comfortable changing individual tax rates and changing deductions and credits that only last, you know, six months to a year because individuals are pretty nimble in that regard, right? But companies like there's a certainty. there's a level of certainty, yes. right? Because and and their shareholders want certainty. And when you look at whenever there's uncertainty, like the pandemic lent, that's what causes problems for the global economy. Because that's when you know companies start pulling back, they get a little shaky. So companies like knowing stuff. So how are they preparing, or should they prepare now? They should be preparing. I, I am seeing companies prepare now. Then they should be preparing, understanding exactly what their global structure looks like, how their system profit is currently allocated, understanding what could actually happen based on this idea of a a minimum tax rate and how that's going to impact how their businesses operate or what their tax consequence is going to be, right? And I think companies are going to want to model this out. There's probably not enough substance in terms of the agreement to be able to model it out fully as of yet, but of course, after the G20 meetings, I think there's going to be more details that are uh, more substantive details. And then we'll see companies start to put deploy more resources toward modeling this out, understanding what the consequences are to see whether or not from a business perspective, they're going to have to establish more efficient structures or they can establish more efficient structures or, or what should they do with the IP in some situations or are they going to be lobbying against this, right? So. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is one of my questions. So um, if if companies are opposed, you know, some companies early on, not as much lately, but have been making noise about how this is going to cost them more, right? And the, the consideration is always if companies are taxed more, they typically pass that along to consumers. So should taxpayers be worried that we're going to pay more for Netflix next month or next year? Like, are Apple iTunes going to be more expensive? Like, do you think that we're going to see any kind of significant shift to taxpayers? Or do you think this is going to kind of come out in the wash? That's a great question. And and because at the end of the day, who's ultimately the the payer or who's the most impacted? And that's typically the taxpayer, right? And so you see that all play out in terms of the, the price of Netflix and things of that nature. So 
I do think that, yes, it will be a trickle-down effect and, and we will see costs rise on a global basis for different goods and services that we consume today. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to be a dramatic increase that we see now. And, and perhaps it's going to be over as a period of time because they're not going to just go ahead and, and take that tax bill and, and change it dollar for dollar into the consumer prices yet. They don't want to create that sort of a negative repercussion, if you will, from a reputational perspective. So I think it's just going to be more gradual, and, but taxpayers will ultimately be the payers. Well, that's a relief so yeah. that I can tell my kids, <laughs> I can tell my kids we can afford to watch the rest of Terrace House and figure out how it ends. So, well, thank you so much. I think this has been really valuable. I hope that folks have learned a little bit more about D20 and, and Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 and what this all means. If folks wanted to find you or your company, either on social or on the web, and you wanted to be found, where would you send them? I would send them to our website. It's at crossborder.ai. So, you know, learn more about our company. Uh, You can email me directly as well if you'd like at mimi.song at xbs.ai. And hopefully you'll, you'll be able to see more information about what we do. We focus on transfer pricing, R&D tax credits, as well as tax provisions. So we deal with all of the major tax issues that any multinational faces. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll be sure to put those links in the show notes as well. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks. It's been super fun. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe on your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.